Hey, it's Greg. This is the Square Pizza Pod, cooked up by Shermco. Hey everyone, it's Julia bringing you another episode of the Square Pizza Pod. Today, Greg is in conversation with Francis Mazzano, who is the president of New Schools Venture Fund. What you'll learn in this episode is her go-to karaoke song, her commitment to racial justice in education, and how New Schools Venture Fund has raised nearly $345 million in over a 1,000 education innovators in just 20-plus years, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Okay, Ms. Masano, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Greg? I'm good. Thanks so much for joining the Square Pizza Pod today. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Um, and you're coming to us from Oakland, is that right? Well, I moved to San Francisco for love. So I had ooh, been in Oakland ooh. for five years. <laughs> and I would say a couple of weeks before the pandemic, moved to uh, Bernal Heights in San Francisco. Oh, didn't have that plan, but feels like we're already wildly off course. Um, <laughs> I'm sure the move was well worth it and it's going swimmingly, I'd imagine. Yeah, we actually got engaged in May. So all oh, in all, Congrats. it was worth it, but I miss Oakland. I do miss Oakland. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, nonetheless, good. Appreciate you um, coming in from the other coast for us. Um, Absolutely. So as you know, of course, doing our best to research and honor our guest, we leverage our network to ask, you know, for interesting facts, fun facts, and the scoop. And the best one I got was none of those things, but they said more praise. And they said, quote, she's one of the dopest folks I know, wicked smart, amazing. So I wanted to start off with that praise, I think, from a well-respected colleague in the space. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, Are you going to dig up anything? I know, and zero dirt (laughs) and zero interesting facts besides, like, of course, so well done for whoever's managing the um, PR for you. Um, But I think we did find what you offered up on the um, New School's website, um, a bit of a singer and a musical background. So can you tell us perhaps more about that? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, I've been singing my whole life. You know, maybe one day the thing that I can dig up is... um, a cassette recording. So for those of you who don't know what a cassette is, you can have a separate session on that. Um, Of me at four years old, belting Whitney Houston. Um, I believe the children are our future. Um, And I think ever since then, I've been singing choirs, Mm -hmm. um, cover bands. um, And right now I sing in a gospel choir in Oakland called the Interfaith Gospel Choir. Good for you. So did you, uh, so technical, but did you have to leave the gospel choir in Oakland? Are you still committed to that with your move? I am still committed to it. It's been hard practicing in Zoom, like, you know, trying to submit videos and trying to, you know, sing off uh, on mute, basically doesn't work as well. But, you know, once we're back in person and able to sing together, I'm definitely going to still be showing up um, because folks are in it from all around the Bay Area. So Children of the Future by Whitney Houston as a four-year-old, almost like a premonition that you were going to work in public education or at least in education. It does feel education. like a premonition. Like when you start getting in the, into the words and the meaning yep. of the song, the song it's like, yeah. okay, I see, I see the threads from like very early on kind of playing out today. That's um, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that the go-to karaoke song? I don't want to assume. And so need to know there's different not. ranges and musical choices. Okay. So go to Whitney Houston is a go-to. So my go-to karaoke song is I want to dance with somebody. So sure. if you want to be in a yeah. joyful mood, you yeah. want to start dancing, you want to make fast friends in a, wherever you that's are, karaoke, I think that's the song. I think that's the song. 
Um, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can't, you can't not hear that song and like not have a good time in any situation for the most part, right? That's right. But you know, um, there, I'll throw in some Killing Me Softly. Okay. Um, some Lady Marmalade, you know, any any strong female lead who's mm -hmm. belting, is, that's kind of my happy place. Good so. to know. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting because we just had President Lugo from Queens University here in Charlotte. And he, I don't think, um, necessarily had a pension for singing, but was an IP lawyer and talked about okay. working during that time with Chuck D while Spotify was, okay. or like, excuse me, Napster was coming out. But this mm -hmm. musical, I think, um, connection or pattern between him working on the legal side and you, there might be something there, um, maybe music or just, I think, the arts and how important the, a creative aspect to our work is. Um, so drawing that connection, there's other musical focused education people out there for you. Absolutely. And, you know, I think for me, especially in settings like this, like, you know, especially, you know, presenting all the time and in conversation with all different kinds of people who are, who, who are, sure have different backgrounds as I do. It's like yep. what you learn, right. Being in a choir, the idea of learning your part, blending, mm -hmm. connecting the sounds so that collectively you can do something quite powerful to hopefully move people. Mm -hmm. I think it has tons of resonance, both in like understanding how to do your part, but how to work as part of the collective. Um, and, you know, helping me to build up self-confidence to be comfortable presenting, um, yep. you know, I have a hope that, you know, in education, um, especially in this moment in time, that we're not stripping away those kinds of opportunities, those enrichment opportunities, because they're so critical. I mean, singing today is still one of my greatest stress releases mm. um, and one of my passions. And so we, we need to make sure that we are finding ways to support students and living out their passions, yep. um, no matter what they might be. Yeah, certainly a great point. I didn't, you know, I default to like maybe more sadly traditional team sports or I played football in college, but I think certainly from choir, like you're in a team dynamic in a setting, right? You each have your different role responsibilities. Um, each one needs to come in at the end, but, and also need to be aware of how the others are vibing and feeling that day. And so very much applicable to probably the teams you're leading now, but also teams you're supporting across the country. Absolutely. Um, that's great. Um, so I want to get into more of the day to day here in a moment at New Schools Ventures Fund. But even if we went before that, you know, reading more about you, I think appears to always have a really clear focus on racial justice and just the importance of education and your own background, even before this role. So I'd love for you to just share as you're comfortable, you know, how you got to this role and these lived experiences for you. Yeah, happy to. You know, I'll just start off with that I identify as Latina, as a first-generation college graduate, as a daughter of an immigrant, and I was raised in the working-class community of Coney Island, Brooklyn, and mm. so I feel like all those identities um, show up in my work. Um, you know, I'm the first-born daughter of a first-born daughter of a first-born daughter. I think that's important because the power yeah. of the women <laughs> in my family um, is definitely something that I bring with me. And I'm, like, in particular, very inspired by my mother, um, Anna Nilsi. Okay. And she shout came, out to mom. Yeah, shout out to mom. She yeah. came to this country when she was 24 years old from, from Cali, Colombia. And, and she wow. came in search of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And when I think about, you know, her own journey of um, she was working in the garment industry, um, that's a more euphemistic way of talking about it, you know, learn mm -hmm. the language, you know, over time, started volunteering um, in the school that my sister and I attended in Coney Island and actually wound up over time going to college on nights and weekends and became a kindergarten teacher. 
Wow. And like seeing her as my first teacher, yeah. seeing the choices that she was making to get more involved in education and how she was supporting so many kids in our community, that was an inspiration. Um, I would also say like, I am incredibly indebted to the nonprofit organizations that have supported me on my mm -hmm. educational journey as well. And so when I think about like, why am I here? Why am I talking to you? It's the sacrifices that my parents made, you know, it's, it's, it's my family legacy. And it's also the fact that like, I view myself as being incredibly lucky yep. because of a bunch of mentors that poured into me, nonprofits that supported me. And the one I would talk about in particular is prep for prep yep. that at the age of 10, um, kind of selected me to participate in what was like a 14 month academic boot camp okay. to help me get access to a private school. Mm -hmm. And that program stayed with me basically through young adulthood, um, okay. even my first career with tons of supports. But the thing that that also stuck with me during that experience is, as I was going to private school, navigating my school life and my home life and mm -hmm. my, my, my community home was I had to be taken out of my community to go to a private school that was mostly, um, you know, attended by white students yep. um, uh, to get a great education that I couldn't go to my the local options um, yep. in my community. And I think it really fueled to me a deeper understanding of these two worlds that I was navigating, a deeper understanding of how I got like this golden ticket to get access to educational opportunity. Yep. And the yep. fact that like, more kids needed to have a similar chance in life and that I wanted to do something about it. And you are on, on so many levels, right? But I mean, so many also, you know, I think points to, to dive in there without us getting too lost, but sounds like, you know, education is obviously so important to you. And then seeing your mom um, continue to invest herself in education and be your teacher, as you said, but then the track it sent you on, almost seems like at this point it was inevitable that you're partly in the position you are in now to continue to support high quality education um, in communities across the country. Well, it, I mean, my, my, um, my story, my personal story, those personal experiences, they fuel me, you know, yeah. and I didn't, I didn't get into education right away, like out of college, I didn't mm -hmm. start by teaching, but what I found myself doing in my early career was I kept on asking myself the question of like, what's my purpose? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? And I found myself always kind of volunteering with education organizations and nonprofits and always being drawn to, to, to this experience that I had very early on in life. So to sure. the experiences and like the lessons I was taught from my family and wanting to do something about it and really sure. thinking about, well, like, how do I take some of the strengths and skills from, um, that I think I have some of my gifts that I have and how do I apply it to this issue? That's been incredibly important and, and an issue that, you know, without the help of nonprofit organizations, without the help of strong educational institutions, like, you know, like, you know, what I would say is I think education has the opportunity to be a yep. great mobilizer, right, to change life trajectories, but the pathways to opportunity are closed off for far too many. And so yep. there's, there was, I wanted to work on that issue. Yeah, I appreciate the, you know, your own perspective with nonprofits and also the work you guys do at new schools, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I think oftentimes, right, like, K-12 normal institutions get their their credit, but also there's um, flack for what they're doing well and not doing well. But oftentimes there's like these intermediaries, right? The after school programs, the nonprofits, the Boys and Girls Club, the YMCA's that come along and do incredible work. Some of the programs that you do as well. And they um, are often not um, in the conversations around supporting students. But to your point, when they are, they can have incredible effects. 
Absolutely. And I do think that's one, that's one change, possible change that's emerging in this moment in time, especially yeah. as more students and families started to rely on community-based organizations to, mm-hmm. to support um, their own kids um, in this moment in time where we were all sheltered in place. Like, I wonder if the awareness we have about the power of wraparound supports, the power of nonprofits, if, if there's going to be a new kind of focus on, on, on them in this moment in time. We'll what is your, sounds like you're leaning towards, yes, there might be a new focus in that. Or you're seeing some promising models, we, I'd guess. We are definitely seeing some promising models. I yep. mean, you know, we, the, there's so much that we have learned yep. from the pandemic and from this moment in time and COVID-19. Um, I mean, and there's been lots of, you know, there's been lots of suffering. There's mm-hmm. been lots of um, focus on the inequities that we have been laid bare over the last year that we've known have always existed, but I think COVID-19 put into to more stark contrast. And I think for us at new schools, what we've been focused on is also thinking about where are there like sparks of hope and where are there sure. sparks of possibility and how do we focus on those? And so, you know, happy to talk more about like what some of those ideas are that have been emerging. But I would say like, as parents have been making active choices about how to best support their students in this moment in time, we are seeing a lot more parent advocacy organizations showing up. We are seeing um, greater reliance on nonprofit organizations. As you think about whether it's like pods for learning or enrichment activities to supplement what might've been happening, you know, during virtual learning at home. Um, And so lots of great examples of, of kind of change that I think can be a template for, for the future. Yeah, we'd love to get into it, you know, and we're segueing now, but first, congrats on the fairly new role within new schools as a president. So shout out to you for that. Um, but also for the listening audience that maybe don't know what New Schools Ventures is and the incredible work you guys do and the work you do as president of the organization, um, please feel free to, to offer that context. Yeah, happy to. And thanks for the congratulations. I am I'm really excited to be yeah. in this role. You know, I've been at New Schools for the last six years doing kind of a, doing a range of things. Um, and so it's really exciting to be in this leadership position. And I'm definitely humbled by the opportunity. Um, you know, New Schools, we're a nonprofit organization that focuses on supporting early stage education innovators who have powerful ideas for how we reimagine education, Mm -hmm. right? So what that means is that we find, fund, and support uh, diverse leaders across the country with those new ideas so that we can think about how we can play a role in creating a more just and equitable education system. That's the shorthand. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, something, I mean, you know, we're fans of your guys' work for a number of reasons. I mean, personally, I would like to think it's gotta be one of the coolest jobs ever besides running a social impact consulting firm, but that's a longer story. Um, but for the data you guys have, right, 20 years, $345 million invested, over a thousand um, diverse, innovative educators invest. Like those are real numbers driving change. And you know, one thing I appreciate you guys is just even from afar, I think how open and vulnerable you are around sharing what's working, what's not across that time. So definitely want to recommend the audience go check that out because you guys, I think, do a great job of pushing those learnings out and sharing it with everybody. But given those numbers and, you know, 20 years, $345 million invested, um, what have you learned? I'm sure there's more than one yeah. thing, but would love for you to share some things that come to mind, you know, yeah. over your six years and just the history of the organization. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you um, kind of talking about the fact that we try to learn, like to share what we're learning as yep. we're learning it with the with 
public, maybe learn out loud um, is another way of putting it um, and would encourage folks to check out our website um, at newschools.org just to see more. Um, Because we do we do view ourselves as having the opportunity to influence the field as it relates to how we support new ideas, what we see as cutting edge. um, 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 But know that we're we're also learning as we go along. And I guess, so to your point, like, what have we've learned? We have put a lot of money to work um, over the years and it is a great privilege. Like, Greg, I do pinch myself at moments. Like, wow, like I get to do this. I get to like look at a bunch of ideas and and play a role in deciding, you know, which ideas, which dreams we get to invest in. Like that is a privilege. And I I am not, um, um, I don't take that lightly. Um, And I don't forget it. Um, I try not to. Um, But what I would say is that there's power in this platform of Mm -hmm. providing money to people with early stage ideas, right? Um, We believe that that those those new ideas, that new new thinking, those new approaches, um, there's power to focusing on that, particularly because as we look at kind of educational results, like we haven't made the progress holistically as a system that we need to make. There are pockets of promise, but we actually haven't scaled that promise. So like what, how can we unleash new energy and new thinking to actually drive change? So we think that there's power in that. Um, We view it as a core function to find the people with the best ideas, no matter where there might be, where they might be. And that's rooted in this idea that diversity helps to expand the set of ideas that are being considered um, um, and, and also like expand the like the power of those ideas and we also believe it helps with sustainability sure. um, you know like it, it's not enough just to focus on a new idea if it's not an idea that a community is asking for if it's not an idea that parents and students are saying yes this was created with me. It's helping me to bring my assets, my hopes, my my aspirations for the future to life. Like it's not going to work over the long term, right? And so we've learned about the power of, of of diversity. Yes, and the people who are coming up with those ideas being community embedded, but really also in the power of of how that work gets done mm-hmm. and how to ensure that it's done in a sustainable way where it can have kind of impact over time. And I think we've learned that money is not enough. And so like, you know, for social entrepreneurs, no matter what kind of uh, sector you're, you're focused in, yes, there, there's the rat race to raise, to raise, to raise money. And, you know, we are an intermediary, so we are raising funds too all the time. So I have tons of empathy on that. And while you need money to, to bring that dream to fruition, you also need lots of support and technical assistance to make sure that, you know, you have a strong strategy, that you understand how to measure your impact, to tell stories about that impact. Um, and the way you do that matters, um, 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 not just in terms of reducing power dynamics, but also in like, understanding that different people need different things. And so like for us, we've learned a lot about the fact that if we really want to support leaders of color, we have to provide that support in a different way. And a lot of that is about navigational support, extending our social capital, um, uh, really also trying to influence the field of philanthropy to disrupt Mm -hmm. philanthropy, um, to make it a more um, kind of warm and inviting and receptive kind of field uh, for leaders of color. So those are a couple of things I I can share a lot more, Um, but (laughs) I mean, two things I want to kind of follow up on, like heard you say pretty clearly, like kind of co-creating solutions with communities, particularly parents and students. Can you talk about, I think for maybe us around the Zoom or the table, 
we've seen the importance of that. Um, but can you talk about why it's been so important, so impactful compared to maybe traditional or um, previous attempts where they haven't kind of co-created alongside families? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, a lot of education efforts of the past can have been viewed sometimes as, as like, you know, missionary efforts, sure. right? I'm over here. I have this great idea. I'm going to come and save you kind of dear community members. And oftentimes we're talking about low-income communities. Oftentimes we're talking about communities of color Mm -hmm. and are not thinking about the implications of race, um, Mm -hmm. the impacts of race in, in those interactions. I think oftentimes have not thought about solutions, um, actually meeting a real and felt need as opposed to a perceived need, right? Um, And so, um, and when you think about the way change has happened across the country, there's resistance sometimes to, to, to a lot of good ideas because it's not about the what of the ideas, it's about how the work is being done. And so for us, as we're investing, and I'll use an example, as we're supporting people who are creating new schools, we want to know, like, where is this idea coming from? Yep, you know, yep. it's it's not a, it's not good enough if it was coming to a whiteboard that you, a whiteboarding session you were doing with yourself and a couple of your friends. But it's more to say, like, is there a need? Is yep, there yep. a need? And who is saying that there is a need? And who's saying they have support for this? Who's saying they want to actually go to the school? Who's helping you to figure out designing the future of that school? And that matters tremendously. And our hope is that um, as as we see new ideas being shared, um, you know, kind of we're in this moment of reimagining right now, um, um, you know, who is at the decision-making table, who is sharing perspective is paramount. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think it's so much around um, inviting those, right. There's many, I think, attributors perhaps to the quote, but those closest to the injustice or the pain have the answers. Um, and also the right mindset to value those humans and those and their lived experiences to invite them to the table to fund them to give them the resources they need not because they don't have the answer or don't know what they need to do oftentimes it's tearing down the systemic hurdles um, to allow them to drive the change or to deliver the answers they know they need for their communities that's right and i think in education we're trying to knock down the barriers that have existed to educational opportunity to professional opportunity but we're still knocking down all kinds of barriers to access of all kinds. And, mm-hmm. and the ones that you're talking about are access to decision-making tables yep. and, and access to power. And I think as we are doing this work in education, we have to constantly ask ourselves the question about like, how are we leveling that playing field? And it's, and it's one where I feel like we're, we're, we're starting to make more change on that. We're certainly inspired by the broader, I think, um, movements that exist outside of education, but there's, mm-hmm. there's further we need to go. Yep. And I think, you know, piggybacking off that, going into some of the work you guys have previously led, but now focus on specifically with diverse leaders and believe you have a current uh, initiative about $2.5 million supporting diverse leaders, leading initiatives around education. Can you talk more about why that focus and what you're looking for there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, since 2015, we've had an intentional focus on diverse leaders, and that's because we believe in the power of diversity um, and racial diversity specifically. So there's tons of reports that share the data and make the case for it. But I still find myself in a lot of um, rooms making the case for why we focus on diversity. So I'll just share like our belief is that um, diverse organizations tend to be higher performing. Mm-hmm. They tend to more readily come up with more innovative ideas and challenge the status quo. 
And then we know when students of color are taught by teachers who share their racial ethnic background, they have stronger um, experiences and also academic outcomes, right? Um, they're also less likely to be referred to discipline or, or, or suspension or and more likely to be referred to um, greater educational opportunities, let's say referrals to gifted and talented as an example. Yep. And so we view diversity as a strategic lever for change. And we talked a lot about the like the the like when when work is being done with community and not to community, it also leads to more sustainability. And so those ideas come 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 into play as well. So what we started to do in 2015 is we we said we are going to make an intentional commitment to investing in leaders of color. We want to close the gap in terms of who's in our portfolio, like their racial ethnic demographics mm -hmm. relative to mm -hmm. how students in, in public school systems um, identify, right? So we know 40% of students identify as Black or Latino, mm -hmm. um, more than 50% identify as students of color. And we said, like, how can we make sure that our portfolio has similar demographics? So um, what that means is we've now allocated, you know, more than $52 million to Black and Latino leaders, more than $63 million to leaders of color. Um, and that's more than 50% of the dollars we put to work. Um, and these ideas have power. They're having impact, right? Yep. So we're going to continue to push on this topic. We think it's critically important. I think it also is a way in which we let go of the false binary that we either choose diversity or quality. We're saying you can have both in our portfolio as an example of that. And this $2.5 million initiative is focused on teacher diversity specifically. So we want to support ideas um, that are focused on how we can recruit, um, support and retain more educators of color. Um, um, and of course, um, are, are really interested in ideas coming from leaders of color themselves um, because of the benefits that, they, that we believe come from the proximity, maybe the deeper understanding of, of someone who's navigating those different steps in, in, in the teaching workforce. Yeah. Yeah, so important. I think, um, you know, especially to your point around quality, right? At least in our work, it only comes up oftentimes quality when it's in relation to diverse educators and from which, which seems inherently racist oftentimes. And, you know, I think you could also make the academic argument if you look at many school systems and schools are trying their best, but academic results are still not there. Quality isn't there. Um, so it doesn't necessarily feel like a fair comparison when only brought up in the conversation around educators of color. So appreciate the work you guys are doing to not only fund it and the community of practice to offer it, but also to say um, this doesn't need to be binary and it's not binary at all. And it's not. And, and you know, it, that 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 binary sometimes comes up as well when people are like, so you're just funding teacher diversity. Like, mm -hmm. what about the quality of those educators? Of course, we, we care about that. We, of course, we care about those educators having effective practice and 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 then being able to educate students um, in a way that's going to help them to meet their goals. Right. Um, but we know that we need to have a huge focus on the on the diversity because of the gaps that have persisted. For decades. Yeah. And I wonder too, you know, you don't have to comment on this, but I will, right? Like the, I don't know if the quality argument is happening at, at other institutions funding, you know, traditional teacher programs or everything else that maybe it's presumed to be, but it just, you know, the, the quality, the conversation of quality needs to be consistent across all and not just um, pigeonhole to those that are focused on diverse educators. Is my comment. <laughs> um, so, you know, 
I think a few things, right? If, if you are a diverse educator or leading an organization focused on teacher diversity, I'm assuming they can go to the website to figure out more about that initiative. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Newschools.org. Um, yeah. Look under funding opportunities. It closes August 6th. So you've got a couple more weeks to get yeah. your idea. Good. Um, and, you know, kind of want to zoom out a minute, too, because you alluded to this, like, you know, you weren't always in kind of education or philanthropy previously before new schools. You had some pretty incredible experiences in the corporate side and the banking side. And then now from this over the past six years at new schools. And also think you just have, uh, you know, college background and kind of strategy and org design and that sort of stuff. And so if we can nerd out together a minute around organizational design and high functioning organization. Yes. Yeah, right. So, um <laughs> You know, I'm going to admittedly ask you an impossible question, but given all those things, like if you could boil down, you know, one to two to three success metrics, strategies, or just kind of common threads you've seen pre and post, feels like you got to have a wealth of knowledge in there, which I know you do. So curious um, if you could pick a few trends to share with the audience. Yeah. And this is more related to kind of like new, like new org development and like, 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 yeah, I think, yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm generally, I mean, nobody else in the listening audience is, but it's our podcast. So I'm just generally curious about like what you're seeing, right? Because you've, you've done it from the funding perspective, but also yeah. from the consultant side before, and you're, you guys are still advising and you're yeah. hands on and your philanthropy. Yeah. So there's yeah. gotta be common threads around like oh, yeah. um, sustainability for organizations, storytelling, budgeting, Absolutely. accounting, okay. like, I don't know, like, you, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. you tell me. Yeah. And yeah, what I'll say for those in the audience, I was a strategy consultant for five years at Monitor Institute and, um, you know, I've always been like a student of business and strategy um, mm -hmm. before that. And do find that I bring that strategy toolkit into my work all the time, especially sure. as we're coaching and advising the, the organizations that we support. And yeah, I've seen a lot. I mean, Greg, and I'm sure you have too. You can probably compare notes. I mean, there there are some common threads. Yeah, before yeah. new schools, after new schools. I find that a lot of people um, need to do more to workshop their um, theory of change and theory mm -hmm. of action. And so I know those are start to get a little bit more wonky, but I find that a lot of ideas that come across our, 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 our desk, um, people have really strong visions, mm -hmm. really strong visions about the change they want to see in the world. It's really strong articulations of the problems that exist in education. But sometimes when it comes to what is your secret sauce? What mm -hmm. is your organization's mm -hmm. unique value add? Like, how are you going to change that, that, um, kind of the current state and what are you uniquely positioned to do relative to all the other folks who are in the field? I think a lot of times folks sometimes have trouble kind of distilling it down because the problem's so big and you want to work on everything. And I think yep. there's value in strategic focus. So that's one thing I would say. Yep. Another thing that we've seen pop up has been difficulty in understanding how to measure impact, right? And I think there's two threads to this one. So one is like, what are the most important things to measure? How do I make sure that that's a strong, um, it's, it's strongly connected to the change that I want to see in the world? And how do I know if I'm on the right track, especially starting something early? Yep. Um, but then there's this other piece of like, we know that um, measurement um, has been used sometimes as a tool um, against communities of color in terms of what gets measured and what doesn't get measured. And so I often find, especially 
from many of the leaders of color in our portfolio, um, like they're trying to pave a new way of how to measure and what to measure. And so I think sometimes that can feel very daunting, but I think it's a worthwhile set of um, kind of next steps that I want to encourage more people to, to do and, and, and to kind of um make impact in. Yep. And then lastly, your point, storytelling. I think storytelling is very, very hard um, to do. I think a lot of folks, you kind of want to knock folks over the head with everything you know. Let yep. me tell you everything I've known. Let me tell you everything I've done. Uh, let me tell you all the things we will do. <laughs> and at the end of the day, we're trying to engage folks emotionally and yep. pull on people's heartstrings and to let them know that what we're doing is mattering and that we're on, we're on, we're on, run the right track. Right. Yep. And so find that that's a huge area as well. Um, yep. and then how do you structure your organization? Who do you hire? What do you outsource? Those are biggies, but you know, I don't know. I'm not sure how many people want to dig into that. All the things. Yeah. Yeah. The storytelling piece is interesting, right? Cause I think it's, you know, they're obviously very motivated. It's often coming from lived experiences, um, and see the 30 year, 40 year vision of like, you know, completely transforming public education in the country or something else, but also, you know, maybe romanticizing how to get there and not understanding they got to knock out the first 12 months to get to the next 25 years. Um, and storytelling that in a, you know, three minutes, nine minutes or an essay can often be daunting to your point. Yeah. And sometimes you have to start with a one to two minute, you know, version just yep. to get someone to say, oh, I want to know more. Right. More, yeah. and that's, that's, I think the most challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what we've seen in those experiences too, is like the leaders that can kind of hold both, right. The duality of holding both of those ideas at the same time, but understanding like if I'm selling an after school program to schools, I need to set up meetings with 10 principals. Um, three of them will tell me no seven of them will want a second email or a second meeting. You know, after that point, two of them will tell me no, three of the remaining will ask for contracts, two of them will ghost me, and then one will like sign, right? So just like the getting to like your proof point to make sure that thing can even scale the, you know, the, the 10 to 20 kind of uh, customer service funnels to get to that point, I think yeah. is often overlooked. And like, how do I transform the world in 10 years? Well, I mean, your point about getting comfortable um, hearing no and mm -hmm. depersonalizing no, I think is yeah. really important because you're going to find that maybe on the customer acquisition side, you yeah. know, the client acquisition side, you might find that in the fundraising experience. And the thing that we always say to the ventures in our portfolio a no is not a no forever, it's a no for right now, right? And yeah. it's not about yeah. you right? You know, it's, it's, it's not about the worthiness of your idea either. And when you then also think about kind of racial biases and who might be hearing no more, more often, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of the work that we do at New School is also about like confidence building and how do we pour into people, to let them know that they're on the right track and like, how can we support, right? Yep. But your point, you're going to hear a lot of no, mm -hmm. you know, for a range of reasons, but they're, if they're, you know, believe in the idea kind of stick it out and yep. you, there's this inflection point where then you start to hear more yeses than nos yep. and it kind of go from there. Yep. Yeah. And I wonder too, if it's um, thinking back to where we started around, like maybe your musical background too, I'd imagine maybe not, I'm sure you're a wonderful singer, but you weren't always a wonderful singer. So there had to be some coaching along the way that said not quite there, like keep working on it. And I think there's probably a lot of applicability in, in any type of hurdles or struggles professionally for you and, or for like those you're supporting as you're trying to raise funds or build their, their work. Totally. And I would say like, whether it's singing and getting coaching, you know, 
sports and getting coaching, like there's always a way that we can be better, but it's like, how are we support, how are we surrounding ourselves with the support systems and structure we need, whether it's getting a, an executive coach, yeah. you know, having, you know, your, your kitchen cabinet of mentors of people who can just make sure you're getting the advice that you need. It's, it's so important. I mean, it's yeah. something that, you know, I have, and will continue to have and need more of for sure as well. Right. Yeah. Because we're, we're always, we're always on this learning journey and there's yeah. always an opportunity for growth. Learning organizations. Yeah. And people, right. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also to, you know, I think, you know, a little bit of a tough question, if you don't mind, maybe I think you've talked about like just the awesomeness of the job and the work you guys do at new schools and maybe how like philanthropy is viewed from others that are seeking philanthropy to, to do their day-to-day work. Is there anything you think new schools is, is there anything new schools is working on doing better or anything you think new schools needs to do better in the future to continue to drive the work you guys are doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think we need to play more of a role in disrupting the current state of philanthropy and that's going to require us disrupting ourselves a bit. Hmm. Right. Um, you know, we have invested, as I mentioned, in, in a lot of leaders of color over the year, we have explicit parts of our investment strategy that are focused on um, supporting diverse leadership and diverse teachers. You know, we have a new fund focused on racial equity, um, where we're piloting participatory grant making. So ceding power to uh, a council of 16 people, parents, students, education leaders to actually allocate the full fund. Mm. And, you know, like, I'm really proud of what we've done. And then, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm super aware of the fact of the broader system of philanthropy in which we, we operate in. And, you know, one of the things that keeps me up at night is like, it's great. We're giving seed capital to a set of, of early stage folks. Um, um, we're, we're, we're supporting them in their early years, you know, let's say up to year three of their development. But if there isn't broader support for racial equity, if there isn't broader support for leaders of color, like, I wonder, like, are we doing, are we doing more, more help or harm, you know, mm-hmm. um, and to really make sure that we are actually paving a way for the education field to be different. I think it's requiring um, philanthropy to be different. And so mm-hmm. the, I, I constantly ask myself questions about like, what more should we be doing at new schools? Um, you know, we have the freedom to try new ideas. How should we be pushing ourselves to the next level? And, you know, we'll be curious to hear, you know, what ideas your audience has on some of that. And then what do we, what more do we need to be doing to influence the broader kind of education um, philanthropy sector. Mm-hmm. Yes, we share research. Yes, we've done convening. Yes, we're, you know, kind of thinking about how we bring folks together in community to drive change. Um, but but what more? Um, and, and that's something that I think we can be doing more and, and, and better at. Yeah, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing. Curious too, like as you talk about disruption and also measurement, going back to maybe the previous question, like any ways in which we all should think about measuring the disruption in philanthropy? Hmm. I, I think the easiest um, and clearest and most important metric that we should be using is money flows. You know, mm-hmm. um, if, you, if you think about it, and this comes back to where we kind of started, it is a privilege to work in a, in, a, in, a, in a philanthropy where your job, your core job is to allocate money, right, mm-hmm. um, to, to ideas that are aligned with your strategy, to align with your purpose. And I think the way that we should be evaluated is like, where's our money going? Yep. To whom and for what? And how does that actually align with a vision for a more just and more equitable education system? 
Yeah. Yeah, and that's why we're such a big, I mean, we're biased because of the work we've done and seen around the family empowerment space in North Carolina, but also the work you all are doing and funding parent advocacy groups. And well, I don't know if you're directly funding them, but we are aware of like Memphis Lift, right? And Sarah Carpenter and Oakland Reach out there where you guys are and the incredible work they're doing. But just the idea of groups like yours funding families and parents to advocate for what they need and want based upon their own lived experiences and those of their children's lived experiences seems like such a game changer, something we're really excited about. Absolutely. And I think, you know, again, it goes back to like, who has the power, who is wielding the power, where does power sit? Where is it mm -hmm. absent? It, it, that's the broader conversation. You can't have a conversation about racial equity without talking about power. And to your point, like we, we have funded um, Oakland Reach, we're really proud of, of that partnership. Um, we're really proud of Lakeisha Young and the great work she's doing in Oakland and the way she's inspiring similar work to happen across the country. And, you know, they really, they really stepped up during the pandemic too, COVID, and really yeah. thinking about how do they support their parents? How do they leverage their parent leaders to support parents in Oakland to make sure they were getting access to everything they needed? And so it's so powerful to see how their work is continuing to evolve over time as they think about supporting on literacy and a range of other topics. And so I'm really excited to see where that work goes, um, yeah. because you're right, like, we need to see more money flowing to those who are closest to the inequities mm -hmm. to really, um, you know, identify the solutions that we need to, to drive change. And I will say, so an update, Greg, we okay. are starting to fund parent advocacy organizations. That was a new good. update in 2021. It's, okay, a, it's an extension of our parent leadership work, yep. but it's, it's for all the reasons that you mentioned. Yeah. And is that a, a current invitation for those out there or is that closed or where is that at in the process? We, we did close that funding opportunity, okay. but I'll tell you this, right? Yep. We are we are putting $35 million to work every year, and that's just our investment budget. Mm. And we're constantly building pipeline of, of new leaders. When I say pipeline, basically, I mean, we're constantly trying to meet new folks with strong ideas for change yep. across the country, right? Yep. And yep. so what I would say is, my invitation is, introduce yourselves to us. Tell us yep. about your yep. work. We will have that funding opportunity available next year, um, and so it can get you in the queue for that. That's great. Yeah, and you know, shout out to um, Lakeisha and Oakland Reach. We were on a conference call with them probably early on in the pandemic when they were kind of switching and doing an empowerment fund to kind of raise money, and then use their families um, um, to. Uh, they were inviting families in using a rubric to decide the families in Oakland that they could fund directly to those to help them get through the pandemic, and with their permission. They share the rubric with us and we were able to adapt and pivot in a much smaller way with a group of families we we're working with here. But we wouldn't be able to have any of that effect without her and her team being so great, but also being willing to share that and walk us through the process in a way that what worked for them and what didn't. And so I think it probably speaks to, to your all's leadership and their ability to open source that and be willing to share across the country. Yeah, I take I take no credit for that. That is Lakeisha and that is and that is the, the group of parent leaders yep. that she has the privilege of working with, right? Who are really pushing on doing this work in a fundamentally different way. So no, we can we can take no credit, but we have been excited about the fact that we've been able to support her work in some way. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're coming up on time. But I, you know, I think we as an art team is super bullish on just this idea of continuing to empower and invest in families. And I think we know, historically across the country and even in other countries, what doesn't work around racial inequities and right. um, schools in certain communities. And so why not be able to invest in those that know what they need and want 
And then if we really do care about results of all kids, like let's just get out of the way and let them happen. And we know what's not going to work. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for leaders and organizations like yours to continue to push the envelope there. A hundred percent. And, you know, maybe Greg, in a future time, we can talk about what we're learning through um, seeding power in our, in our decision-making through yeah. the, the, the pilot we're running in our racial equity fund. Cause I think that's another place where we're, doing tons of learning. Um, we are, we are feeling very humble right now in, in kind of how we've been approaching this work and how things need to change. And so I think that's another place too. How do we then put the decision-making of like what ideas get funded into the hands of parents and students and other community members? I mean, just one more, but it it shouldn't be a surprise, but in, in that small case study we did here in North Carolina, the families were, um, more rigorous in their decision-making to fund other families than probably we would have been because I think they just know some of the challenges, how the systems work and how they don't. And they weren't being unjust or unequitable. I think they just had a very clear sense of what worked and what wouldn't for other families in their situations and had just insights and knowledge that, again, shouldn't be a surprise, um, but draw, just brought so much expertise to the conversation uh, that we would have never known if we didn't, weren't fortunate enough to create that space for them. That's right. Um, okay, we're gonna get you out of here on a few, hopefully fun and hopefully rapid fire questions. Um, one thing our audience can do to help transform public education across the country. So I think school boards are incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And I think they're so important in this moment in time. And so few people vote in school board elections and school board races. So I feel like if there's one thing that you're going to focus on, I would say learn more about your local board, um, learn more about candidates that are running and and identify the ones that are in line for your vision for change and then go vote. I think that's a huge and important lever um, um, for change. Love that specificity. And also the overlap with families that are leading parent organizations and advocacy organizations, them serving as, you know, grassroots pipeline to become future school board members. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, uh, most important question of the day, as always, what does square pizza remind you of, Francis? Yeah. So square pizza reminds me of my grandma, Francis. She's who I'm named after. Um, <laughs> and she passed away when I was seven. But if I think about the memories I had with her up until that point, we used to go to her house in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, before Williamsburg was Williamsburg. Um, and we would always eat pizza as a family. And the thing that we used to do at Grandma Francis's house is that we would cut the cardboard box that the that the pizza came in, yep. and we use the cardboard as plates. And that yep. is something that I still do. So if you ever have pizza with me and we order in, I'm gonna cut up a box, right? So that is my tribute to to Grandma Francis. I mean, I love it for all the reasons. It's economical. It's good for the environment. It's it's good, just like bread breaking style. I love all the things. Um, that's great. I appreciate you sharing. Um, any final thoughts, Francis, uh, from you or uh, to the listening audience? Yeah, I'd say as a final thought, um, we are like in an opportunity for great change and for great reimagination in education right now. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when we talk about the ideas that we have, like we, we kind of go like, oh, well, that's not possible because we don't have funding. Mm-hmm. But we have $130 billion coming in federal funding to districts, um, to, to SEAs across the country. And mm-hmm. I guess for me, it's like, this is our moment right now to reimagine education so we can make sure that every single kid has access to a strong academic foundation, to social emotional support, 
supports to identity affirming curriculum where parents have a true voice and a true say and are real partners in education. And I'll just say this, like, I think this is our moment. Mm -hmm. And I, and my hope is that we will do something differently than what we've done in the past. Cause like, we can't go back to how we used to do it. So, um, that is my hope. And I know there's tons of people working hard on this effort. And so, yeah, I'll leave you, I'll leave you with that. The well, opportunity is now. Yeah, I will agree. I'll co-sign that hope along with you um, and appreciate the work you guys are doing to lead that. So others can kind of hope at the same time and also put that hope into work. Um, thank you, Francis Masano for joining um, and for all the work you're doing at New Schools. Thank you. Thanks for the time. It was a great conversation. Great to see you. Thanks, you as well. Thanks so much for checking out the Square Pizza Pod, making a few selfish requests. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the podcast and share this with a friend. We appreciate it. Thanks.